Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to talk about a respondent and an appellant, and I'm partly giving away where we're going by uh, using those names, but uh, I won't spoil the whole thing just yet. So we have our respondent, and our respondent uh, and our appellant engage in a leisure boat business. Basically, they incorporate a com company. Our respondent is going to be someone who owns 55% of the shares in the company, and our appellant is going to be someone who owns 45% of the shares. And essentially, our respondent is going to be the bank. They're going to contribute the money into the venture. And our appellant is going to be the sweat equity. The appellant is going to do the work, hand-to-hand -hand combat, of running a leisure boat business, taking boats around Sydney Harbour, making money from it, all that sort of good stuff. And what happens is our appellant causes a number of payments to be made from the company. Now, uh, some of those payments are unchallenged by the respondent, but some of them are challenged. And let's work through what some of them are. Now, uh, some of them are wages that the appellant causes to be paid to themselves and their spouse. Uh, some of those payments that are challenged are uh, a payment of $220,000 that the respondent makes a demand about. And as soon as that demand is made, 204,000 is repaid. So there's this 16,000 that sort of goes missing between the 220 that left and the 204 that was repaid when a demand was made. Uh, there is a purchase made where the appellant causes the company to buy a boat from an entity related to a company uh, that is uh, controlled by the appellant's wife. And what is alleged by our respondent is that the purchase of that boat from the appellant's wife's company uh, is uh, at an overvalue. Essentially, the company has paid too much for a boat uh, when buying it from the appellant's wife, essentially. And as you can imagine, uh, the relationship became a little bit tense between our shareholders, our 55% respondent and our 45% appellant. And there was actually a piece of litigation running where our respondent brought a claim against the appellant for the sort of misbehavior in relation to the company. And what the appellant did was cause the company to pay the legal fees in relation to this litigation. And so we have our appellant who is uh, causing this 220 payment to be made and not accounting for the 16, causing what are allegedly overpaid wages to be paid out, purchasing this boat where there's a question about its value and paying these lawyers when really the claim is about the appellant's conduct and not really in the interest of the company. And so the respondent makes a claim and the respondent wins. And how, uh, what is the nature of the victory the respondent enjoys at first instance? The nature of that victory is firstly, the appellant has to repay the money, uh, including for the boat and all that stuff. Secondly, the respondent, I withdraw that, the appellant is removed as a director of the company. And thirdly, pursuant to section 233 of the Corporations Act, all of the shares of the appellant in the company that they own together are transferred to the respondent for no payment at all. What happens next, and you knew this was coming because of the names of the parties, is the appellant makes an appeal. So let's work through the nature of that appeal. 
What the appellant says and dives pretty deeply and the Court of Appeal engages pretty directly with the evidence regarding the boat's overvalue. We have um, an expert relied on by the appellant who is with the greatest of respect um, a little uh, casually dealt with by the appellant, um, is not instructed in a particularly formal way and forms their expert opinion based on two photographs and in essence forms an expert opinion that the appellant looks to rely upon at first instance. By contrast, the respondent um, instructs a valuer with experts, expertise in marine valuation um, and essentially uh, challenges some of the suggestions made by the appellant's expert and you know compares uh, a boat that was suggested to be in the same class um, as the boat that was indeed purchased by the company. One of them's a Hyundai, one of them's a Mercedes, and this expert is uh, found to be of considerable assistance to the court, such that the primary judge's conclusion about the overvalue of the boat is accepted. And so the Court of Appeal says, yep, tick, the primary judge was correct about that overvaluation. Um, the primary judge uh, is similarly found to be correct about the other payments. If we can just engage with the law firm issue for a moment, um, what the court finds is that um, the only way that the appellant could have made those payments to the lawyer in relation to the uh, dispute about the appellant's conduct must have been in breach of the appellant's duties. And indeed, um, the respondent had issued a subpoena to the appellant um, to seek a delivery up of the retainer and the fee agreement and all the stuff you'd expect to see um, from a law firm uh, and the appellant had just not responded to that subpoena. And so the court found that all of those bases for the primary judge finding money ought to be paid from the appellant over to the respondent were upheld. So the primary judge was correct. The respondent won on appeal on that. Interesting extra factor for the corporate oppression nerds out there was the transfer of shares. Now, often what you find in a scenario that involves what, what we like to call corporate oppression is that you'll find a transfer of shares being ordered by the court at fair value. Now here, the transfer of shares was ordered by the primary judge for zero. Essentially, our appellant just had the transfer over to the respondent and that was that. And what the Court of Appeal was asked to consider was whether this was an appropriate form of relief for what happened. The short point is the Court of Appeal found yes. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. One of them was that the primary judge was given no submissions in relation to alternative forms of relief. And another, with the greatest of respect, very good reason, is that Section 233 of the Corporations Act is uh, drafted in a way that is very broad indeed. And the forms of relief that can be uh, made, uh, that can be ordered by the court uh, pursuant to Section 233 are defined, but not in a restrictive way. And there are a huge number of consequences that can flow pursuant to Section 233. The Court of Appeal acknowledged this and said, look, the transfer of shares for no payment um, is certainly within uh, the bounds of the sort of things a court can order pursuant to Section 233. And so our appellant failed entirely on their appeal, had to pay back the money, was removed as director and had to transfer their shares without receiving any payment for them. I hope that discussion assisted you and I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.